all in your mind. All in your mind. All in your mind. All in your mind. Hi, everybody. Sitting in for Rick Rowan on this week's podcast is me, Scott McCormick. But here with us, as always, Mr. Dwayne Beeman. Say hi, Dwayne. Hey, what's up? And I also uh, have some special guests with us this week, one of which is more special than the other because we, we know Ken Jackson. Oh, man, come on. That's not right. He's yeah. just impressed because I arrived on the short bus outside. <laughs> <laughs> and there's our other guest, Zeke Elton. Hey. All right, Zeke. And... We're here because uh, of Black Panther. Who is the Black Panther is the question that we ask and we answer in this uh, very special graphic audio book. Um, so to start things off, let's talk a little bit about Zeke. Zeke, I know you've been in, in several of my books recently, most, uh, most memorably to me. Uh, Warlock Holmes number two as uh, <laughs> Sir Henry Baskerville, a Canadian... He was uh, so much fun! Oh, gosh. We actually got comments from Canada on your accent, and they feel it was an affront to God. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so good job. They were very pleased. Just um, stay on this side of the border for a while. And then um, you also, before you were, um, let me just say, uh, Zeke is our Black Panther. He is huh? our T'Challa. I was right. wondering if you were going to tell him. I'm going to, you know, I get around to these things eventually. <laughs> um, but before that, he was also in Planet Hulk. Oh. As the Red yes. King, our very, very evil Red King, so I sort of gave you something evil to test whether or not you could play something very good, and I think both roles turned out excellent. Did I get to attack him at all? Is that little guy I was? You were meek. Yes, meek, yes. you were meek. Um, Ken, uh, let me introduce what Ken's here. Ken is our narrator for uh, Who is the Black Panther, but Ken has appeared in several graphic audio productions, obviously, as a director and adapter and narrator, and in several of the Marvel and DC projects, he... Uh, Everybody knows Action Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Except when I pitched up like I was in Planet Hulk. People recognized you. Yeah, People still talk about how good you And he played Meek, the small insect, which you may remember from uh, Thor Ragnarok, if you haven't heard our production of Planet Hulk, which I recommend highly. He was the little bug guy. Not just because you directed well, that's I, just bonus. I just, I do so much. I do so much. But I think that the that the exciting thing has been to work on Black Panther. Um, um, but let's talk about you, Zeke. Um, you're new to graphic audio, but you are a very talented voice actor who has oh, quickly risen to the top of the batting order. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and where you're from and uh, what you do in real life. Oh wow, um, me. Um, I am a military kid who turned into a military man, um, so I have lived in a different place every three years for my entire life. Wow. Okay. Um, my father is an American GI, and my mother is uh, from England, hmm. and uh, hence the, the liberal use of the British accent. <laughs> um, I'm currently in the Navy, finishing out a 20-year career. Uh, I'm a single dad. My son is 17, wow. finishing wow. out his high school career. and. Uh, and in every spare moment I get, I, I act. Because it's my passion. Oh, that's cool. It's yeah. great that you can do that. And, and uh, you know, obviously, balancing an acting career and any kind of career is hard, but I can only imagine doing the military when you're moving 
as often as you move. I mean, have you enjoyed moving into this area? Has this given you any new opportunities? We actually moved back here. So I had to suffer through living in Hawaii twice. Um, oh, dear. So wow, what I struggled through for the cause, but um, I lived here once before, and uh, when my son was very young, he was like six to, to nine, and he actually wanted to come back to the East Coast. Great. So he was the reason that we moved back out here. I took my last flying job in the Navy, and then now I'm in more of a, a desk job leading into retirement. So we've, we've actually been here longer than anywhere else, I think. Well, congratulations on all that. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations on having your service. Yeah. 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 Thank you for your service. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's trying not to make it, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I got I got the nieces and nephews who are doing the same thing right now. So, um, so that's about you. Um, can you think of any highlights of your graphic of your career that I haven't hit on that you've enjoyed working on any particular books or working the, with any directors? The Marvel directors? ones are, are huge for me because I'm I'm a nerd. I'm a gamer. I'm I'm a I'm a comic book kid, and so is my son. So going home and saying, hey. Yeah, I'm the Red King. What? No, man, you're not. No, no, dudes. I'm the Red King, and I'm a total jerk. Well, at least you die, you know. So those are the conversations that happen in my house. Um, when, when I when I found out that that uh, I was going to get to beat T'Challa, that was huge. That was really, that's the the biggest moment in my voice acting career. I was really you excited. Update for your that. browser Oops. now, or your phone might be slowed down, and your battery may discharge as quickly. <laughs> That is a serious yes, warning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, Dwayne's phone just, 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 just sat up and slapped him. <laughs> that that hurt. Yeah. Um, Sorry. That's all right. So, <laughs> I got to be honest. I mean, we um, we we don't necessarily uh, know which books are coming down the line to us from Marvel. Marvel has their own publishing schedule, but they uh, they give us. Fair notice of what books are coming down the line, and when we found out there was a Black Panther book, it it was going to present us a challenge. I mean, um, I think that, that that we had some very talented African American actors, but we didn't have nearly enough to do this book the justice it needed, and so we kind of put it off. The book was actually published um, almost a year ago. I think it came out last July. Yeah, I think we delayed the book for us internally like six months. Just so Scott can just stockpile actors, you know. Yeah. And we auditioned a lot of people, and I didn't know who T'Challa was going to be. I mean, everybody knows we have some very talented African-American actors, you know, going way back. I mean, uh, James Lewis and, and, and Thomas Penny being, uh, right. you know, some of our, 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 our you know, standouts. Grizzled veterans. Grizzled veterans, right. exactly. Um, <laughs> and we've had the fortune of having a number of talented African-American actresses come along. But we didn't have enough men, to be quite honest. And fortunately, Zeke came along during that time period that we were seeking someone to do it. And uh, along with some other very talented people who we can talk about a little bit later. But there was also, it was also important to me, um, up until this point, the only people who've narrated any of the Marvel um, prose novels have been uh, Rick, obviously, Rick Rowan, um, MJ Casey with his fantastic turn as Deadpool, and uh, and myself, who did the Guardians of the Galaxy book, um, but I felt it also important to give the narrator um, position to an African American actor, which is why I said, "Ken, Ken, can you do this for me?" And Ken was very excited as well. Why don't you? 
Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> I, was, I was, absolutely, no. Because I'm, I'm also, uh, like Zeke, a comic book nerd from way back. I still, you know, when you said your son was, uh, you know, interested in comics, I thought, hey, maybe I should talk to him to see if I can unload some of my old comics. Because what do you do with them, you know? I mean, no. you either take them to a show and you pay for a table or something, but it's like I've been looking for, like, is there somebody I can gift these books, books to? Because I still have books. I handed over uh, boxes. Yeah? yeah? What'd you do with them? To him. Oh, to him. Yeah, yeah, oh, so he already has bots. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's, no. there's always that special moment when, you know, you, you find one that was like your favorite and the kid just rips into it. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, not really taking care of the comic like comic book people tend to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's cool. And waving it around. You're like, oh, I'm just going to walk into the other Yeah, room. let it go. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. My dad... My dad bought all the comic books in our house when I was growing up, and, my, and he bought like the first two issues of every comic book that came out back mm. in the day, which wasn't as many back in the day, but there was a good, you know, I mean, we had we were a DC and a Marvel house. I was more the DC kid in our house. My brother was more the Marvel kid. Mm. But now that my dad's passed, we have, my dad didn't take care of his comic books at all. They got squeezed into Mylar bags. They're laying flat on top of each other, stacked like like uh, like cordwood instead of being uh, <laughs> instead of being uh, in, a, in a vertical file. And so I, I'm 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 not dreading it, but there is this part of me that feels like there's going to be some comic book that would have been worth yeah. thousands yeah. of dollars in yeah. pristine condition, and I'm going to find the copy that's worth ninety nine cents because right. the way Dad took care of it. Right. But you know, it's not. I'm justifying this to myself because of the way I've treated comic books. The ones that you love, you read a lot. I yep. did the same thing with my records. The records I loved, I didn't that's, keep that's in great me with the records. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't keep them in good in good mm-hmm. shape, but they are still my favorites. So I hold on to that because they're not worth anything now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the only way to do it would be like the way my my buddy Tony did, which he ordered two of everything. Yeah. Oh, uh, there you go. You know, but I wasn't going to spend that money. Yeah. I didn't yeah. Know. Yeah. I've never met an action figure I've kept in a box. That's all yeah. I know. There's yeah. no. It's, it's a toy. It's supposed to be played with. <laughs> a comic book's supposed to be read. Yeah. Yeah. Funny yeah. story, real quick. My brother this Christmas sent me a Brave Star blaster from the the cartoon oh Brave Star that no one remembers. I remember. Okay. And, and and it came. I opened it up at Christmas. Immediately took it out. Stuck batteries in. Was going pew 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 around the house. And then it dawned on me. Oh, oh. And then I hardly stuffed it back in the box. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was too late at that point. It, I was just overcome by uh, childhood wow. nostalgia. Uh, well, those, but those, yeah. That's the thing. And yeah. I say this. Some of those <laughs> things, are, yes, are worth mints. But some of those things, you go on eBay and you go, I could have that if I wanted the thing I never had when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, it's not like, not everything's a Star Wars toy. Not everything's going for thousands of dollars, whether it's in a box or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But speaking of childhood. Yes. Um, when uh, when did you guys first encounter Black Panther? When you okay. I, well, look, there weren't. There was a very small universe of black superheroes, mm-hmm. so I knew all of them. Do you know what I mean? Right. So I discovered Black Panther as soon as Black Panther was written. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So uh, probably what? Probably early seventies? Uh, late sixties. Late sixties. Sixty six. Fantastic Four issue. He, oh, okay. Well, I didn't see his first yeah. appearance. He yeah. predated the Black Panther Party by about six months. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, Black Panther, the character. And interestingly enough, I read this today. And a little bit, for a little bit of time, they changed him to Black Leopard. Mm-hmm. 
because they were trying to disassociate themselves from Bobby, Bobby Seale and Huey Newton. And, right. and, and uh, their whole logic was, well, uh, Leopard is still a panther. Anyway, it changed back it's very pretty, quickly. It's pretty thin. It's pretty thin. <laughs> it changed back. It changed yeah, so back I discovered quickly. him in the early 70s. That's when I really started reading comics. That's cool. Yeah. Zeke? I was, a, I was an 80s baby. So me and my brother were actually really big into Power Man and Iron Fist. Yeah. That was our, our black mm-hmm. superhero. Mm-hmm. And Black Panther came along later. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really connect to Black Panther. You know, I probably about Zeke's age. Well, Scott, we're all about the same age. I probably, when I was a kid, yeah, I was more gravitating to uh, Luke Cage more than I was Black Panther. You yeah. Know, and stuff. So, I definitely uh, read Luke Cage, but I think uh, because I collected Captain America before I collected any anything else, uh, I was into Falcon. Mm-hmm. You know, even though he was just a sidekick, uh, although I think he did at some point have his own mag. He had his own book. Because he, he changed, you know, they gave him some, uh, I think Tony Stark designed some gear for him, so he actually had wings that, he didn't actually fly, but he could soar, uh, and some, some some other things. He, he sort of... Recently he became Cap. They replaced Captain America with, with, uh, with Falcon. Right. So that was kind of cool. Um, as the Caucasian in the room... Um, <laughs> It wasn't I was avoiding Black Panther, but I was the DC kid. Right. So for me, my my role models were Black Lightning and and and, and John Stewart. And I got to be honest, I'm a big Green Lantern fan. So for me, John Stewart was second only to Hal Jordan in my in my estimation right. of the superheroes. Um, but I think as soon as when I I caught on to what was going on with Black Panther right around the time that he and Storm got married, because I felt like you know of course she's She's this fantastic African character. She matches up so well with the King of Wakanda. And uh, it's been interesting now that I've been, I don't want to say, sort of inundated with the Marvel Universe because that's it's not what it is. I mean, actually, I've started to fall in love with a lot of the Marvel characters because of the time I spent working for Graphic Audio directing them. I think that, without a doubt, Black Panther is probably one of the quintessential original takes on a, on a character from anything. He is a man of, of of character and responsibility who, you know, there's a line in the book about he's like the Pope, the, the, the King of England, and the President all wrapped into one, yeah. and, you know, he's running around fighting crime. So for for a lot of, 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 of people, it, it's it's not a surprise that, that, that T'Challa has become sort of like I mean, now with the movie passing Titanic on the all-time yeah. box office list, it's you know it's it's a cultural movement, but it's like not just a cultural movement; it's a it's the worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think um, it was I made a comparison the other day to someone. I was saying that you know if you talk to most Americans about who the greatest um, rock star in the world is, you'll get a lot of answers, but usually it tends to be like Elvis or yeah. Michael Jackson. Right. But if you go around the world, it the the answer is 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 Bob Marley. Bob Marley is 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 pretty much the voice of the third world, and I feel like T'Challa has sort of been embraced all around the world and is seen as you know he's not a Captain America, he's not a Tony Stark, who are like the symbols of like American government and American capitalism. He's somebody new and exciting. So I mean, how important is that? I mean, as as fans. And, 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 and as black men, how important is that to you that, that this is happening? I mean, for, speaking for myself, I mean, 
I think it's great. I mean, it's just the fact that to be able to see this type of buzz and this type of, you know, people, you know, are just, I don't know how to say it, but I mean, there's been black leads and there's been like people of, uh, you know, of significance who are black that's been covered in movies and, and TV, you know, and stuff. But it's just real cool to see this happening, you know, and stuff. Just how everybody of all races are just embracing this character. And not just because he's black, but, you know, he's not like like you know how what Shaft was or he wasn't like how um Bill Cosby well maybe I shouldn't say but you know I hope he's not like Bill Cosby <laughs> but you know how big a deal Bill Cosby was right you know back in the 80s and um now you're seeing a guy you know who like you said people are seeing him as this this cultural figure and then the whole back the whole storyline behind what Wakanda is and you know what all that represents as far as you know this African country that's never been conquered never been conquered the leading source of technology um, all these um, great things that they're doing you know and stuff I mean black people has never been put in that kind of thing not in not not that I know of, you know, and stuff. Not not the things that I've experienced on TV and movies. I've never seen this, you know. And the fact that everybody is just embracing this, you know. I mean, you're not hearing any negative spin on this portrayal, you know, um, or anything, you know, and stuff. So it's just kind of like a phenomenon to see this kind of thing happening, and you know and honestly as a black man that's it's great you know it's great seeing it's about time you know and stuff so you know they're going to do a crossover with Jar Jar Binks they're going to bring him oh, into the no. Wakandan universe why did uh, you throw us back oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you for throwing us back 40 years he's going to crash his plane into Wakanda <laughs> They go throw him over a cliff. Me so wonder if I bring this. Oh, Karen, bring, bring it back, bring it back to reality. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I love the fact that you know, it, it's when I saw the film, I was really pleased because how many times have we seen films with strong black characters that right. still ultimately are saved by the greater culture within which they right, live. Right, You know, uh, and to have an, an independent black character who is uh, able to handle his, her own affairs, uh, you know, independent uh, of, uh, you know, any other uh, assistance um, to be able to have the technology, to have the intelligence, to have the uh, athletic prowess, all of that, uh, you know, and to stand alone and, and, and be strong and, and uh, be counted. Uh, what's not to like? Oh, I mean, and these are other things that, I mean, people have talked about. You have a very strong family story. I mean, right. he was raised by his father. We saw his father. Um, 
T'Chaka, which secret to everyone was also portrayed by by Zeke <laughs> in our book, who was taken away from him. But his family, his mother, his well, it's, it's actually his stepmother, his stepmother and his sister, and all of the people, the, the Dormelage, all of them are a family unit as much as they are a societal unit. And there's a great love, and this is and. That's the thing that I, I kept coming back to in, in our story is they call him beloved, and it's not just a, it's not just some kind of benediction. They feel that for him, and I feel that that happens in the movie. What do you think, Zeke? Um, I, I think it's it's the perfect time, and I think socially it's monumental. I mean, we live in the we live in the time of the black president, right? Yeah. And and I have teenage boys, mm-hmm. black boys that need someone to look up to, and here is a role model that is not just successful because of his athletic prowess or what's been given to him. He's about science. He's about diplomacy. He's about family. When he leans for help, he leans on this, this group of powerful, smart, intelligent, and, and amazing women. And that's something that, that my kids can look at and go, that's something I aspire to. And what's been so amazing about the movie coming out is it's not just the black kids. No. You go to Comic-Con now, and yeah. you'll see kids of any race, gender, creed, color rocking the Black Panther. Right. Because everybody feels it because it's a family story. Mm-hmm. The story comes first, and you can forget the fact that, that it's an entire black cast in that movie, that it's an almost entire black cast in the book. Um, that is very important. But the underlying themes of it are so strong, so powerful, and so positive that you just can't get away from it. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the things I think about the movie. I mean, which so many people have, I mean, I've talked to the end of the time about how, what, you know, is, is, is the United States represented by, by uh, Wakanda? Is, is that what's sustained? It doesn't matter. And I think that the, for everybody who, who tries to make this into a, a political issue, the important part of it is. You can't be a powerful person. You can't be a powerful country. You can't have a resource that the rest of the world would benefit from and hold it to yourself. Whether that resource is vibranium, whether that resource is you know space in your country to take in refugees, it, it doesn't mean that if that resource is 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 you know Black Panther himself. Mm-hmm. By keeping something away that's going to make people's lives better. That's the great sin, and I think that that the, the movie explores that oh, tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. and I think our book does a little of that too. Um, for those of you who don't know the plot, just a quick rundown: um, our story actually follows. It was written by um, Jesse J. Um, Holland, and uh, Jesse actually adapted the whole thing from uh, a story that was written by, excuse me, uh, Reginald Hudlin and John Romita Jr. Um, the story basically follows Black Panther directly after his having taken the position away from his um, uncle, who was serving as regent and serving as Black Panther. Um, T'Challa's father was murdered, T'Chaka, when he was out of the country and was attacked by Claw, which everyone remembers Claw from the movie. Claw! And uh, Claw... That's good. That's good. Why didn't I cast just Claw? I really feel just like, like him. I really feel like that. That was the that was the touch of Belgian that, that I just couldn't get. Claw, who's a hired assassin, comes, and um, and escapes, 
and there's no justice for the, the man who killed T'Challa's father. Um, T'Challa has just taken the uh, the title of Black Panther after defeating his uncle in, in combat, and has also become the king of Wakanda. And he's just come back from a visit to the United States, where the United States starts to be a little annoyed by this African country that doesn't seem to need us or want us or want to cooperate with us. And so there is a shadowy government group, which I don't know, they, they could be symbolic or something that's actually going on these days, um, who, uh, who hires Claw and some other um, um, uh, bad guy mercenaries to go into Wakanda to stabilize the government and get all the resources, the vibranium, the technology, and they want to steal it for their own use. Yes. And that's where our story starts. Our story has the rhino in it, which is not in the movie. The rhino is not... There are rhinos in the movie. Yes, but not, yes. not the rhino. Not, not the rhino. Not, 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 a, not a wonderfully talented Tim, Tim Getman doing a great Russian impersonation of the, of the rhino. Um so um, some of the people, some of the some of the uh, regulars from our group, um, Joe Mallon, some of you may know, uh, plays Claw, and he, I gotta say he nailed it. I mean, I asked him for a, a <laughs> I asked him for a Belgian Dutch accent, Ooh. and uh, he came back to me with exactly what I was looking for. It's a very subtle accent, but he he nailed it. Um, and then some fantastic women. And let's be honest, I mean, just as important to, the, to our story as it is to the movie, we had uh, Sakile Lyles as your sister Shuri, Lolita Horn as your stepmother Amanda, um, a new wonderful actress I'm, I'm falling in love with every time I use her, Dwayne Washington as Nakia, Joy Jones, who's also new to us, she was a Koye, and then some loser named Scott McCormick as Batrock. That French accent really needs to get fixed. Um, Christopher Walker uh, is the radioactive man. Another great Russian. Yeah. Uh, Frank Britton was a delightful Mbutu, I thought. And uh, James Lewis was CN. And Rick Rowan, moving away from narrating duty as uh, General Mad Madigan, uh, our, uh, our ever lovable uh, evil general. And uh, also, you know, just Jefferson Russell, you know, Deirdre Starnes. J.J. Johnson, it was just, you know, a real, real butcher's row of just incredible talent who did this story. Yeah, and I love the fact that listening to the women's voices in the book, they all have such dignity. They yeah. really do. You, you, you cast yeah. well. Because that's the thing, you know, it's like from an, an audio medium, the quality of the voice allows you to, like, picture the person speaking, and they all have these wonderful voices just very evocative i mean yeah. sakila is sure she she's 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 a she sounds like a really you know excited teenager you know she's very young already but at the same time she channeled that same energy that that i feel like i channeled in the movie of just this inquisitive brain who's going and doing this and that was what made my job so easy with this believe me there were a lot of challenges to this book but working with those actors was not one of them everybody came in wanting to nail this because for everybody this was an important important character and and they knew how important this moment was with this book so we were we were blessed with a lot of incredible performances and i asked a lot of ridiculous things out of people <laughs> there was a lot of uulating going on oh really uh -huh. <laughs> so did you have any favorite moments ken in the book 
favorite moments in the book? The dialogue when you didn't have to. Yeah, narrate. yeah, no, it was, it was interesting to actually learning some of the backstory that I skipped when I was narrating <laughs> in the long speeches that people were making about their back histories. Now, I, to be honest with you, I enjoyed the whole thing. Uh, I nothing really jumped out at me. Um, I was, I mean, from the first sequence with uh, you know the attack. Uh, uh, on the street, and and the first time you see him going to action, um, and I feel like, you know, we kind of got that sense of decency, uh, you know, in the character. And I mean, right away, the book kind of establishes who he is, mm. uh, and I just love that. Uh, and I loved uh, the way Zeke sounds as the character, and the ease with which he um, is able to to share. You know, I mean, there doesn't, I don't get, I don't ever think about the fact that, you know, I'm not listening to somebody. Who, Who's for whom that accent is native? I mean, you you were very natural with it. Right, uh, that's the goal. That it just allowed me to just enjoy the storytelling. Exactly. I was gonna say, I mean, I didn't listen to the whole book. I had to listen to like the sample right. clips and some parts when I was just checking over the masters. And immediately, the first thing I thought about was the accents. Like, is they gonna sound hokey or are they not gonna? You know. That's a danger. Yeah, it is. It's a and danger. I think from everything that I heard, you guys hit it, hit it, hit it, and, and did a good, good job hitting those accents. Uh, great job by you, Scott. You know, um, with the direction and everything, and yeah, the the performances was just great. So I felt good about that. You know, knowing that you know the accents didn't sound hokey or anything like that. You know, very very well done. So, see, so how did you approach the accent? I um I was worried because it's not one that was in my quiver uh, until recently, and you have a uh, a very famous face and a very famous voice that y everyone is going to compare it to. Mm -hmm. And we recorded before the movie came out, so you don't have a whole lot of vocal sample. Right. So we talked about this going in, Scott. It wasn't going to be a voice match, but the intent for me going in was to not ever have the listener go, that's not the Black Panther, yeah. you know? And Scott is so giving when you're in the booth. We're going and we're on a roll and he's got me moving and then I, I find a, a bit there that's just not working for me. I'm like, hey, can I do that one again? Yeah, let's do it again. We roll it back. And, and just the pace at which we work um, on all the books that we've done so far is just really conducive to getting in that groove. Mm -hmm. And when you get in that groove with a character, it just starts to come. I think it's... I my attitude is generally, I hire great actors because I want to do as little work as I possibly can. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And when I do end up having to direct, I want to give them something that's worth their time to consider. And that's and that sometimes, sometimes I don't know what I want, and sometimes that becomes frustrating to me, and I don't want it to frustrate them. And so I have to, I think, Ken, you agree, you have to find ways to convey that information, which is not going to make the person feel like, they don't know what they're doing because obviously they do. We were so sensitive in the booth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we hurt our feelings. No, I, I, <laughs> it's really funny. I thought that for a very long time, and most of them will go, "Just give me a line reading. It's all I want." I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, "All right, fine." But that only becomes because the directors know the stories better than anybody should have to know the stories. Right. I mean, especially having been in the role of adapter for as long as I have been, I you know by the time you and I get into there, I've been through the script at least three times, if not more. 
and by the time the last actor comes through, I've read this book, you yeah. know, and then I have to hear it. So it it it's very easy to to work with actors who know what they're doing. It was yeah. Go ahead. I've I I'm never afraid of a line reading, but I've never had a line line reading in the booth here where I didn't go. Oh, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> and it's because of that. It's because yeah. you're so close to the material. You spend so much time yeah. with it that uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm going and I'm rolling, and then I get the line reading, and I'm like, why didn't I get that? You know, that's perfect. The, okay, let's let's go. Let's roll. There's something so. about reading it off the page. Even really good actors, which is pretty much what all we have at this point. You know, we've got a really good stable of performers, but people sometimes will read something, and they would never say it with that inflection conversationally. Mm -hmm. It's just it's something about reading it, you find yourself, you know, doing something. So sometimes you just, like, need to ask the person to just sort of And that's what think a good about, director does yeah. for you. It breaks you out of that. What are you saying here? This is what you mean. You know, yeah. now tell me this. It's funny because there's also times where I'll give a direction and I'll listen to the first line reading that the actor will give me and I'll give them my correction. They'll do my correction. And then when I'm editing... They were right. <laughs> exactly. It's a, a two-way street. That's the creative yeah, process, yeah. though. I'd, so. I'd say it's probably 40% of the time I take the original take. <laughs> 60% I go with yeah. the one that I asked. Because for. it's funny because I feel like sometimes the direction just makes them second-guess themselves and then they don't yeah. know it. But um, it was a big concern for me. And this is this is a, this is a, this is a question I, I put to you guys because I don't know the answer to this. When I do... One of my accents, and I'm not, I'm not one of those technical dialecticians. I'm one of those people who hears things and can mimic them, or can 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 work something through so that I could. That's why I have a lot of different accents for different places. But I couldn't tell you where those accents necessarily. I have lots of Irish accents, but where they're from, I leave that to someone like Colleen to know exactly like, where is that they're. County Cork. Yes. Yeah. Um. For me to give somebody the note, okay, I need you to do a French accent, I need you to do an Irish accent, I need you to do a Spanish accent, that's very straightforward to me. And, and there's some variety in that, but for the most part, most people have the same sound. I was very concerned when I said I want an African accent, that what does that mean to different people? And to be honest, I had rationalized it in my brain where... Wakanda is made up of these 20 different tribes, and therefore if people had different accents, it could be because of the region, even within Wakanda, they were from. But I was concerned about, not, not that anyone was going to embarrass themselves, mm -hmm. but that African accent meant something different to different people. And I'll give you a prime example. Frank Britton, who's a new actor to us, plays Mbutu, and he was doing a, a switch between an R and an L when he was doing his accent. And I corrected him. And I think I mostly corrected him for, for the fact that I wasn't familiar with that accent. I watched Forrest Whitaker in, in Black Panther. That's the accent Forrest Whitaker was doing, mm -hmm. where there was a transition between his R's and his L's. And so I went back to Frank and I said, Frank, you were right, I was wrong. But that's, that's the interesting thing about the... Uh, so when you're when you're told do an African accent, mm -hmm. you had Chadwick Boseman's sort of instructions about going to Hulsa and using that as the yeah. the basis. But if but it also falls in that category of you know some guy calls you up and said I need somebody who can do an African accent without having anything specific in his mind, mm -hmm. and that's a that's a dangerous territory. I mean, is that something you yeah. encountered? We're talking about a continent. 
Yeah, and not a small one. <laughs> no. You know, it's interesting because we, we recorded the Black Panther, and I came back and recorded another book for Rick, and it was another African. I think it was Rick. No, it was me. Was that you? Yeah. Okay, with another African character, and as soon as the book came through the email, I went, ah, oh, another African. Oh, shh, this is Nigeria. All yeah. right, back to the drawing board, because it's an entirely different thing. Right. I guess it is. It's an entirely different yeah. thing. Um, I, w when I come upon work that requires an accent that is new to me or one that is I just find is difficult because mm. the the uh, so a lot of the African dialects I find just difficult even though I spent a lot of time with them is I always try to remember that because we're doing voice it's always got to be intelligible so right. if I have to air I'll ease off of it mm -hmm. and just give uh, the hint of, of an accent um, for believability and character, but it doesn't do any good if you can't understand what I'm saying. And I think that's true for all accents. Yeah. But yeah. you have, a, and you have experience with this too. I mean, what I mean, what are your feelings? I mean, as has, here's the question. I, I guess I'm really asking in my heart is, is it, are are people starting to understand that that that's just a ridiculous thing to say, or do you think people still have the attitude of, well, whatever African sounding voice I get out of you is what I'm going to want? Or are people looking for something more specific and looking for the, the same kind of almost nuance we have about European and languages? I don't know. I mean, that's really tough. Uh, I mean, I can see how someone could be insulted by uh, people just doing generic African. Um, but at the same time, I feel like all these Brits come over here and get on American television and do American films, and they're all doing generic American. Mm -hmm. They're not doing Connecticut. They're not doing Texas. Right. They're not doing Iowa. They're doing some American. Eastern <laughs> seaboard thing. Flatten vowels. Yeah, and, you know, and, and, yeah. and I, can, I, I, I would be hard-pressed to tell you, I mean, it, they sound like Americans. When I find out they're Brits, I go, what? Another Brit? <laughs> but if you ask me where would that American be from, I couldn't tell you. So it's kind of an accepted thing as long as you're consistent within what you're doing and you're doing it in a respectful way. You're not, you're not uh, trying to mock right. the person or the people, you know, the area. You know, you're trying to legitimately, sincerely convey uh, that person's humanity and you are delivering it in a consistent way that, you know, gets out of the way enough that people will accept, yes, this is an African person, yes, this is an Irish person, yes, this is a... I think that's all, really, we need to be concerned with as performers, not, yes, that's an African person from the west coast of Ghana, three miles south of Accra. You know what I mean? No. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Think you're, you're at my next script. You're yeah. fooling yourself if you're ever trying to fool a native speaker. Right. I think, just like you said, you want to deliver a believable character without going to caricature. Unless yeah. the book calls for that. You know. And that's, that's its I've, own I've thing. done that. The Canadians, you know, are... are Amassing around my house right now because of it, but, um, but exactly what you said. Yeah. It, it's you. You want to have a believ believable character that gets out of the way of the story. I think that folks have a lot to look forward to when they listen to this book. I think that this is some. Of, I mean, I've listened to Ken's work for years. Zeke, you and I are new to each other, but I fell fell in love with you as soon as I heard your first boot 
in Warlock. Come on, Dwayne. <laughs> Let's leave him some privacy. No, I think I think uh, I think that's nice of you. No, I think I think that uh, whereas Black Panther will become one of the graphic audio classics very quickly. So if you haven't listened to it yet, where can they find this book? www.graphicaudio.net. And uh, there are samples online, and uh, there's a fantastic trailer if you want the the highlights. Um, and uh, as with always, you know, come back and visit our website often. There's always something going on. So, on behalf of myself, Scott McCormick, and Dwayne Beeman, yeah, Ken Jackson, this has been a movie in your mind. And special <laughs> guest Zeke Alton. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you, and we'll see you. Some or you'll hear us sometime soon. Thank you. Bye. Peace. All in your mind.